0: Hello, and welcome to episode 13 of Columbus Local Podcast. I'm Len D'Amico, and today it is my great pleasure to introduce Frank Harrison.
1: Also known as Frank Guitar Harrison, but Frank Harrison worked. Thank you, sir. (laughs) Thank you.
0: (laughs) And you know, Frank, I've I've had the opportunity in the past, um, after one of your gigs, to uh, spend some time talking to you and actually tell you this then. But I want to start with... The fact that, you know, in 2000, 2001 type time frame, uh, I, I was out supporting local music like I did. wasn't playing yet, but I uh, was at the Short North Tavern and there was, a three, well. there was a three piece playing
1: mm-hmm.
0: right in the glass building there in the front. And it was it was the Frank Harrison group. It was. And that show absolutely mesmerized me, blew me away. And just the the impression that I'm still left with is your spirit, your heart, your, your, your genuine, uh, love and passion for what you're doing. And it, it so inspired me that I I actually went out the next day and bought a Fender Strat And I, and I, I learned That's how to so play, cool. and it, it was it, it was something I'm I'm just eternally grateful for because um, as you know, music guitar playing is a very personal journey.
1: Most definitely. Most and definitely.
0: Uh, so for me, um, you know, I thank you for uh, that inspiration and uh, you know the fun that I've been able to have with uh, live local, local music, and I've done some recordings, and uh, it's just been very fulfilling. So I, I thank you, sir.
1: You're welcome. I uh, inspire inspiration you know man it comes from in different forms shapes and sizes and uh you just got to keep your heart and your soul open to that um i like being inspired you know i want to be inspired uh you know i as a guitar player as a person as a human being um so yeah you, if you just got to keep your antennas up and go for it but uh, thank you very much for that compliment i appreciate that very much i'm glad i could inspire somebody
0: Oh, I'm yeah. sure I'm not the only one, man. I, I'm telling you, just to see Frank Harrison group, and and actually, um, even today, you know, uh, you guys sold out uh, Fenders not too long ago, last month, June tenth, twenty twenty three, and uh, the the place was packed. Uh, Frank Frank Harrison and the Straits.
1: Yeah, <laughs> that was interesting. That was the thirtieth uh, uh, anniversary of the band playing together, and that was Dennis Carson on drums and Marty Wedman on bass. We had our special guest Mike Kroko, who I call Mike Kroko Stimpy, from Ren and Stimpy, and uh, yeah, man, we had a good time. The place was packed, and the joint was rocking. Um, yeah, I enjoyed myself a lot. I was a little under the weather, was nursing a cold, but I didn't care, man. I, we were going to rock and have a good time, no matter what, and we did.
0: It's yeah, still doing it, and it just—it's a joy to see. I think um, you know we know you in Columbus, but. Where did you grow up, and how did you get involved in music, and how did you get into Columbus area?
1: Well, uh, I was actually born in Patterson, New Jersey, um, and I, my mom and dad moved around. And Ironically, uh, we lived in Akron, Ohio for a while. And um, then we gravitated down towards uh, the Miami-Fort Lauderdale area, and uh, that's where I lived. And, uh, man, you know, like a lot of people, I grew up... Uh, watching people go to teen dances and playing in bands and all that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, I, I, you know, I know a lot of people say, yeah, man, I saw the Beatles, and I did see the Beatles in 64, and but I was 10 years old, so uh, I'm dating myself, but that's okay. Um, but I just knew that I wanted to be in a band, and I knew I wanted to play guitar. Uh, it just entranced me to do that, so I uh, figured it out. And uh saved my money and I uh, worked a job, uh, washed dishes for a dollar an hour, saved my money and bought a, a 1966 Telecaster and just never looked back. And uh, I put a band together with uh, two dear friends of mine who are still alive today, Eddie and Joey Garcia, from Pembroke Pines, Florida. And uh, we went out and, and rocked the nation. It was, it was fun. But um, that led me to my travels and playing in bands up and down the coast of South Florida and stuff. And... Um, met Some people, I ironically met a guy named Phil Stokes, a uh, celebrated musician from the west side of Columbus. Hi, Phil, and uh, ironically, I live in Ohio, he lives in Florida. But um, he told me about uh, you know High Street and uh, Woody Hayes and uh, the Agora and Mr. Browns. And again, I'm dating myself, but don't care. And uh, I was uh, and transfer that. I thought that was kind of cool. I was like, well, you know, it's good to know. But I, I actually had bigger plans. I ended up deciding to uh, uh, go out to California, uh, Hollywood, California, to be exact. And I was out there um, and hanging out with some of the guys from uh, Tom Petty and Heartbreakers, particularly Stan Lynch, the drummer, and um, him and a guy named Carl Patti on bass, Steve Soren on guitar, and Marty uh, Whelan—not Marty Whelan, I'm always saying Marty Gerard. Played keyboards at second. They had a band called Road Turkey. They were a real famous band in Gainesville. Uh, they used to do a lot of the same shows with Tom Petty and Mud Crutch or Tom Petty and Heartbreakers, and so uh, they said, "Come out to L.A." I did. Uh, I ended up out there in May of uh, '76, and
0: um, how did you get out there, Frank? I
1: I, I got a <laughs> I got a car. Uh, it was called a drive away car. And um, <laughs> I, I, So
0: that's a thing. That was a thing. A drive It was.
1: It was literally was. You could take these cars. The story that I got was that you take this car, mine was like 74 Malibu, and you drive it for a customer across the United States for them. They didn't want to have it shipped by train or whatever. I guess you could do that, but they didn't want to do that. And like I was telling you earlier, I said, I hell, I don't know. In retrospect, it could have been loaded with drugs, but I didn't have that. Uh, problem, thank God, but uh, I drove across the bottom part of the United States, and uh, I saw the Superdome, which I thought was like a spacecraft from another world, and uh, I drove across Texas. That was hilarious. It took literally 24 hours to get across Texas. Unbelievable. And then, uh, uh, let's see, New Mexico and Arizona. That was interesting. Hot with with no humidity. I was used to humidity in Florida. So um, got to... Um, Hollywood, California. I literally lived uh, two blocks in from Melrose Studios, where they had uh, Happy Days and and uh, Laverne and Shirley and all that. And uh, I we put a band together and uh, we started playing around the local Hollywood, Los Angeles area. And uh, we were trying to play originals and become rock stars and all that. And um, uh, I could uh, it was just so surreal to live in in, in Hollywood. I mean, back then you saw a, a Pink Rolls Royce, you're like you're in Hollywood, you know. It's like there's there's Linda Blair, but her head's not spinning around. You're in Hollywood, uh, so it, it was interesting. I don't regret it. Uh, it was very cool to to see the sights. Um, but uh, after about six months, I'd had enough. I'm like I, I gotta get out of here. This place is giving me the heebie-jeebies. So I um,
0: where were you? Where were you staying?
1: I was actually staying. Uh, <laughs> my first <laughs> my first place to stay was actually in a closet. Um, and yes, I was closeted, but not that type of closet.
0: Um, not that there's anything wrong with that.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I had no other place to live, and my guitar player had a, a closet. He said, "Here, put put a bed in there, and uh, we'll put you, give you some uh, uh, you know uh, things there for your uh, what are they called milk crates? Yeah, milk crates for your T-shirts and underwear and socks, and off you go. And then uh, wow, so it, you had
0: a little privacy.
1: A, a little bit of privacy, but not much. But but it, like I was telling you earlier too, the the mm. weird thing is. Uh, for all you folks that i have not been out in L.A., uh, at least recently, uh, but especially back in, in the mid-'70s, um, we were downtown Hollywood going to some guitar stores, and, man, out of the blue, I just had this horrible headache. And I said to Steve Soar, my guitar player, I said, man, I don't feel good. He goes, you got a smog headache. And I go, what the hell's a smog headache? He said, look up at the sky. See all that gray stuff? That's smog. And I'm like, okay. So, uh, you know, about a month later, I ended up getting a, my own uh, room, I was out of my closet, thank God. And um, well, I got to um, live in a, a bedroom in the back that had all windows in an L shape, and you could actually see the Hollywood sign. And that's how we would get, gauge the day. If we woke up and could see the Hollywood sign, it was a good day to go out. If we couldn't, we stayed to hell home because we didn't want smog headaches. So. Oh, my God. But uh, we were planning it right around the same time as the motels. Uh, mm-hmm. Tom, uh, interesting uh, bit of trivia uh it was originally Tom Petty and Nitro not Tom Petty and Heartbreakers. I, I actually we were talking about my buddy Jim Johnson. I gave yeah. him a, a promo shot from ABC Dunhill Records cuz he didn't believe me I said I'm telling you they were called Tom Petty and Nitro and ironically Jeff Gerard who is the guitar player in the Motels he wrote da, 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 da break down. not my cable and Nothing wrong with that. Mike Campbell's a great guitar player, but supposedly Jeff wrote that,
0: mm, and then he, history there. he
1: ended up. They, they, Tom said they had enough guitar players because him and Tom, Tom Petty and Mike Campbell were playing, mm. so they let Jeff go, and he put the Motels together with his brother Marty, and of course Marty was with Martha Davis and all that, and they had only the Lonely, and Marty played piano on that and played uh, saxophone. So, you know, there was definitely some fame and fortune to be had by everybody, and um, but man, I. I I'd had enough. I'd had enough of, of L.A. It was just an, enough for me. And I talked to my buddy Phil Stokes here from Columbus, Ohio, and uh, he told me that his band that he had called Shakedown, who was playing the Sugar Shack and Mr. Browns and places like that, was going to be in need of a guitar player soon. The late great Mike Parks uh, was a guitar player, and he uh, was leaving. And I told Phil, I said, I'm on my way. So I got another driveway car, and that was a station wagon. I drove again. <laughs> through the lower part of the United States, which was very scenic. Um and I was telling you earlier the, the ironic thing was I remember coming in on seventy into Columbus and it was like seven o'clock in the morning and the DJ was like, Now here's a new song by Bob Seeger called Night Moves. So uh it was an interesting uh chain of events but I joined the band Shakedown and uh played in, in Columbus and uh I've been here ever since.
0: That's freaking awesome man. <laughs> So you so Shakedown is playing uh which venues in Columbus? Uh, a
1: lot of places, the the Villa East out on the east side. Um let me think here. Uh the Sugar Shack for sure, that was yeah. one of my favorite places to play. Um Mr. Brown's on High Street. We played the Agora, did some shows with uh, the gods back then. Uh and uh yeah, man, we were playing, you know, uh mostly local Columbus stuff. You know, eventually I um Shakedown I was in that band for like about two years and uh, it was time for me to go move on and do something else. I was actually in a band called Lizzie Borden for a while and we were also playing a lot of the same clubs. In fact, Jim Johnson was a drummer in that uh, one time and my buddy, the late, great Tom Howard. And, uh, but uh, after that, I put a band called Heartbreaker together and I started doing what I called the World Tour of I-270. And we would play all the Bergsvilles and fields like Springfield, Mechanicsburg and Marysville and all that. And, uh, I lived to tell the story, man. We played out there and those people were wonderful, man. They'd rock till the till the cows came home. And uh so I did that for a while and uh eventually I decided that uh it was time to put Frank Harrison and the Straits together. And in 1980, uh our first debut gig was opening for Foghat at the Al Rosa. Cool. And uh, yeah, it was great, man. We had a good time. Uh the thing that was ironic though was they we we played and did a great job. And we were going to do an encore and the people for Fog Foghat's crew pulled our power. They wouldn't let us do a show, a song. And, uh, it was funny, man, cause we had some bikers there that are our friends. They're like, look, man, we'll, we'll kick these guys' ass if you want to. It was like, now nah, we get the point across. It was, it was cool. But, uh, you know, back then we were lucky. We did uh, shows with Brownsville Station, um, Fog Hat, uh, Steppenwolf. Uh, yeah, man. And, and a lot of fun was to be had from that. And, uh, and then when I put Frank Harrison Straits together, um, we were playing a lot of the clubs around Central Ohio. One was Stars with a Z. And um, uh, that band, we played uh, Henry Lee Summer. He was uh, one of the bands that we opened up for. We did uh, Nazareth, uh, Robin Trower, Johnny Winters. Uh, yeah, man, we I've been very fortunate to open up so for some of my heroes. You know, uh, I will tell you an interesting story. Um, I got to meet Cub Coda. From uh, Brownsville Station, we opened a show for him at the Cafe Rock and Roll, which is literally right across the street, for you people that will remember this, and I know you will, from Mr. <laughs> Browns. And uh, <clears throat> it was funny because they had like the, the, what was the bands, uh, the snotty uh, bands and stuff that and all that stuff, just spitting on each other and all that. But Kolkota and Brownsville came to town, and I got to meet him. And, of course, he's passed away. God, God love him. But uh, he come up to me, he said, you know, who do you listen to?" And I said, you know, the regular guys, Hendrix, Beck, Clapton, Page, and all that. And he goes, well, do you like Elvis? And I said, I love Elvis. He goes, good, we're best friends now. I said, done. So him and I hung out and talked a little bit about guitars and this, that, and the other thing. And he gave me his address and up in Grass Lake, Michigan. And I wrote him a couple times and we talked. And next thing you know, Brownsville was signed to Epic Records and they were on tour with Triumph. They are playing Vets Memorial. Yeah. And so I had a show at the, at the Sugar Shack And with Lizzie Borden. And um, I called the box office at Vets Memorial, and I said, hey, could you get a message to Cup Coda? Please tell him that Frank Harrison's playing at the Sugar Shack. If he has some time, please come in. And uh, lo and behold, man, it's the end of the night. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. The lights come up, and we're we're getting ready to leave. And I hear, Harrison? I'm like, yep. He goes, I'm mad at you. I said, what are you mad at me about? He goes, you didn't ask me to jam. I go, you want to play? He goes, "Jam." I said, Turn the lights off. We gonna rock. And uh, Cub came up and played uh, rollover Beethoven, and uh, a bunch of Chuck Berry stuff. And uh, he was very cool, man. He's. I said, How did you know it was me? Because your tone. I'm like, Well, I appreciate that. And then the, the other one That's that killed the other one that killed me, Len. It, to this day, I still can't believe it. Is, is uh, Frank Zappa came in to see his play. Yeah. And uh, Zappa was on tour with the Zootalures album at Vets, and. Our second drummer, we had a guy named Scotty McMillan on drums and Robbie Stokes on guitar, Phil Stokes on bass and me on guitar, and that was Shakedown. And um uh we were playing the Sugar Shack and Zappa was playing vets. Well, Jerry Herteg or Hall, or whatever you want to call him, he's got two names, Mission Impossible. Um, he's very good friends with Adrian Ballou. And Adrian was one of the guitar was the guitar player with Zappa. And so um uh we we ended up getting backstage and, and talking to Zappa before he got ready to play. And uh, I gave him a, a yellow T-shirt that had Frank Frankenstein on it. And he goes, I got to, to dig the shit out of this. That's and cool. he was just so cool, man. And I, I asked him about uh, the song Zootolores. I said, uh, I said, if you don't mind me asking or telling you, I said, the song Zootalures sounds a lot like a Jeff Beck song. He goes, well, actually Jeff Beck and I were supposed to put a band together at one point, but our managers wouldn't let it happen. So, <laughs> Zappa... I said, "Now look, I know you're busy." I said, "But we're playing over at the Sugar Shack. It'd be an honor if you could show up." He goes, "Well, let's see what happens." Next thing you know, my late wife Joyce is is uh, escorting him in her little Chevy Vega in his white uh, limo to Oldfields, and he wants to grab a bite to eat. And he walks down from Oldfields, and he's got this, this uh,
0: the one on the one on fourth yeah the okay, one on fourth the, the, he walks down
1: walks down from, from no uh, Oldfields with his bodyguard. This guy was a, a, a black gentleman. He was a fifth-degree black belt, so nobody was gonna mess with Frank right. on his watch. And um, Frank walks in, and Adrian got up and played. He jammed, played my guitar, I and mean, that was cool. I offered Frank my guitar, he was very fussy. He goes, no, I'm real particular about what I play. I'm like, okay. So, uh, but what was ironic was, people tried to give him drugs, and he gave them back. He says, I don't do drugs. And the only thing that he wanted was cafe Espresso coffee. That was his vice. And so he sat there and it was it was so surreal, then, because we're up there playing Rock and Roll All Night by Kiss. And here's Frank Zappa da- dancing with some woman that asked him to dance. And he just gives me that look. And I'm like, Bravo. You know, and and I'm like, oh my God, I can't I can't believe this Frank Zappa's That's dancing to Kiss, deep. Rock and Roll oh, All Night.
0: Real, man. So the
1: end of the night, we're getting ready he's getting ready to leave and he's standing in the in the, the entrance way to the sugar shack. And I walked up to him, I said, listen, I can't tell you enough how I'm honored that I am that you showed up. I said, I just come, and he goes, well, I had a great time. He says, and I want you to know you're one of the finest rock guitarists I've seen in the last 10 years. And I, this is my favorite part. I looked at him, I said, could you give me a minute while I rolled up my jaw? <laughs> and and he just kind of laughed. I'm like, you know, it's yeah. Frank Saba, man. you have given me the accolades like that. That's it just made my heart feel good. Oh, my God, so, yes. So, you know, I mean, guy was a musical genius, you know. So,
0: so Frank, what, what year are we talking that this occurred?
1: 78. Wow. 78. Wow. Yeah. So I have uh, had quite a journey in my life uh, playing with a lot of different musicians. And, I mean, to be recognized by one of the best musicians on the planet, you know, Frank Zappa, I mean, I'll always hold that one dear to my heart. Yes. Um, you know, just to be recognized, that, that just means everything to me.
0: What a night. Did you, you know, ever see him again?
1: I did. I, I Ironically, when I lived in California, he was at Studio Instrument Reynolds, and he was getting ready walking across the street. I went, hey, man. He looked at me and goes, I remember you. Columbus, Ohio. I said, yep, good to see you, man. It's good to see you.
0: No way. And
1: that was very cool. That's very cool. Loved it. Wow. So, yeah, man. And so, in the meantime, so we, uh, we did that. We did the Straits thing uh, for a long time. That lasted... Uh, God, that lasted a good five years, and um, in 92 or three, the boat came to the shore, and uh, I got off it, and I, I felt like, you know what, from basically 80 to the 90 or thereabouts, you know, the Beatles were together back then, and they had a 10-year run, and I had about a 10-year run, so I thought, you know what, man, I'm going to get off this wave and get on another wave. And not that it was that big of a stretch, but I thought it was time to uh, change the thing from the Frank Harrison Straits to... I always wanted to have a band called the Frank Harrison Group, like the Jeff Beck Group. So I thought, here we go. It's not much of a stretch, but it's the Frank Harrison Group.
0: The timing and was right for you, right?
1: It, it, most definitely. And so um, that's what happened. I put the Frank Harrison Group together uh, at some new members. uh a guy named Sammy Hoff on drums, great drummer. Uh, a guy named Pat Jenny, a veteran bass player from around here. Uh, unfortunately, he passed away a couple of years ago. Miss you, Pat, and um, Mike Nugent, great guitar player. Um, him and I just—it's like fireworks with him and I play, man. It's—it's—it's it's, it's, to me, it's like Hendrix to Jeff Beck on stage. It don't get any better than that. It just mm-hmm. don't. Um, and we've done some shows uh, over the years and stuff. And then, and then I got to uh, w- him and I got to meet uh, Jeff Beck on the tour with Stevie Ray Vaughan, and. Um, then Stevie Ray Vaughan died, and that sucked, the big one. Nobody liked that, including me, especially me. And then uh, with Frank Harrison Straits and then the Frank Harrison Group, we started doing tribute shows. At uh, the First one was at the Alrosa, and then, let's see, two through 14 were at the Newport, and then the last one was at Whiskey Dicks. And um, we always donated the proceeds to Adventures for Wish Kids. Uh, you know, kids with, God forbid, terminal illnesses and stuff. I mean, I have four children and now I have grandkids and uh, you know, God forbid if one of them got sick, you know, you'd like to know their last, you know, days on earth were happy ones. Absolutely. So um, yeah, man, I, I have uh, lived a very blessed life. I have nothing to really complain about. I, I really don't, you know, life is good. I'm still playing life you know, is very good i'm man. 69 years old folks and i will still kick your ass so. <laughs> i love it sorry i just i gotta be honest <laughs> well
0: you know you, you do kick ass man i mean your your heart is is you know and i think it's, it's people like and i i didn't know Frank Zappen by by anyone but what i know of him very intuitive person brilliant and and uh can feel everything around him right and definitely... so I, I could see where he could be drawn to your to your style because to see Frank Harrison the, or the Frank Harrison group or Frank Harrison in the Straits you know, with your reunion tour it, is a very real man very real very positive mm. person um, that that is transparent I, I don't know how to describe it yeah, but I, I when I when I see that. I I appreciate any time I see you man it's it's still it's, it's like the same and I I, I just know You can't get any more real.
1: Well, man, you know, everybody's born with a soul and a heart. And I try to wear mine on my sleeve. And I just don't really care if nobody gets that or digs it or or feels it. But the people that do, do. And that's the ones that mean the most to me. And it's never been about numbers. I I think if there's there's any line in my life, it's always been about quality, not quantity. Uh, You know, I'd rather play... Like I told you earlier, I'd rather play for 19 people than 119 people that don't give a crap. I, I don't want to play for people that are there for the wrong reasons. You know, music is such a celebratory thing. You know, it's like it's like it's it's. I have a thing on my wall. It's a picture of a guitar. My my wife bought me. It Says when words fail, music speaks, and it's the truth, man. You know, you you. It's amazing how that language of of music can touch your heart in so many different ways and your and your soul. I mean. I still do this cuz it makes me happy, man. You know, it's and I've been I've been very blessed and, and I'm not judging anybody and I don't want anybody to judge me. I, you know, I don't have any problems with addiction uh, with drugs or alcohol or anything like that. And I've known people that I admire like Marvin Gaye that, that did and people that I I played in bands with that did that aren't here anymore that I miss terribly. And uh, you know, man, I um I I I, I just do this because I love music. It it's never changed. That's that's always been the one constant thing is that I get to play music and it makes me happy and I feel like if it makes me happy and I can make other people happy you know it's like like one of the things that I've said before is, is I think it's Shakespeare to their own self be true and I just I try to live by that I try that's all I can do
0: and it's so personal man it really is it's a personal journey and I know that my for myself just my my, my humble existence in the music community here in Columbus it's very personal and it it's just so um, you know, uplifting to, to be able to participate, you know, exactly. and, and give. Exactly,
1: man. Happiness is where you find it. And, you know, if I didn't know you and I saw you in the music store and you said, yeah, man, I just started playing guitar. I would tell you and ask you what I would tell somebody that's been playing for 29 years. Are you having fun? That's, that's <laughs> what it's all about. I mean, it's, I, I, I you right. know, I haven't figured everything out, but I figured like music is like the hokey pokey that's what it's all about you know you turn yourself around and keep playing guitar
0: but you're so real the person said well you know man i don't really have fun then you'd probably respond with something like let's find something else for you that you can enjoy
1: right 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 yeah i mean what what i do is not for everybody i'm not saying that it makes me better than anybody it's just i found at an early stage in my life that this was my passion um, you know, man. Uh, you know, when I was growing up down in Florida, I I uh, played baseball. I played football. Uh, Couldn't play basketball. save my life. That was another story. But football, and baseball, I liked. And and you know, I you do that for your your parents' approval. You want your father and or mother to be proud of you. And I know they were. But man, there was just something about when I found music. It was like, see ya. I, I found what I wanted to do, and and it just didn't make me better than anybody. It's just I found in an early passion that that's what I wanted to do. And I also realized that, and I said this before, I go, look, man, I wanted to be Jimi Hendrix and Jeff Beck, especially Jimi Hendrix, because he's my hero to the to the end, to the end. I can't say it search that enough. He means the world to me. Uh, and I, But I realized that at an early age, it was like, no, you're not going to be Jeff Beck. You're not going to be Hendrix. You're going to be Frank Harrison. And the sooner you own that, the sooner you're going to be happy. I mean, you know, I have eventually here folks, uh, hopefully by the end of the year, a new record coming out. It's called uh, Frank Harrison group. There is no other. And, um, there is no other, there is nobody like me. And that's a good thing. You know, and, and I'm, I was telling you earlier, it's like, Ben, I just, I think that, uh, there's a reason that everybody is who they are. And you should be proud of that. And you should own that. And, and you should upset, accept, accept it. And, uh, it took me a long time to, to figure that out and, and figure out who I am as a person, as a man, as a husband, as, as an artist, and uh, I'm still figuring it out. I ain't got it all figured out, but I keep my antenna open, you know. And I try to learn from everybody. It's like, man, if you can teach me, school's in, and it don't have to be music. It could be something about life, you know. Uh, but that's that's just me. That's just the way I, I try to look at things. But uh, no, man, it's like I said, happiness is where you find it. I just. Happened to to be blessed, and I really feel like I am blessed by the grace of God to to figure out. It's like I want to play guitar, and I want to keep playing guitar, and I want to inspire people, but I also want to inspire myself, you know. And I mean, I uh, I'm really proud of this new record. I think it's going to surprise a lot of people. Um, a lot of people in, in Columbus, Ohio, know me as a blues-based guitar player, and I thank you for that. I know that's a compliment, um, but there's more to me than that. Just you know. That's I, I reference Hendrix and I reference Jeff Beck. And those two guys are two of my favorites because they're so mercurial. You cannot pin them down. You can't say, well, Jeff Beck is just a blues guitar player or just a progressive guitar He He's everything. you know. And same thing with Jimmy. You know Jimmy could rock. Jimmy could play blues. He could play funk. And I try to do those things, all three of those genres. I love blues. I love James Brown. I love rhythm and blues. And I love the blues and I love rock and roll. I just don't want to play... All rock, all blues are all funk. I, I And then the same thing with Stevie Ray Vaughan. Stevie Ray Vaughan has done that. You know, uh, Houses is a Rocking, rock song, Superstition, funk, and let's see, um, Texas Flood, ding, ding, ding.
0: Yeah, there's a couple blues tunes in that repertoire. You know, just a couple. Just a couple. <laughs> you know, I mean, so,
1: man, I, I just want to do the things that, that make me happy. And, um I guess if I can say anything to anybody out there in radio land, man, just be true to yourself. Find your passion. Find the things that make you happy. Don't worry about what everybody else is doing. Don't worry about finding an audience. Your audience will find you. I've had a lot of my friends put bands together, and they're all worried about, oh, nobody's going to come see us. And I go, man, people will come see you. Just, you know, if you build it, I, if you build it, they will come. But you gotta let them know where the hell it is. Yeah, you, know, you do that type of thing. So
0: you need a platform, most definitely, to to advertise
1: yeah. your uh, yeah. your
0: gig. Well, we have we have some of those these days. Yep. You know. Well, so um, your your first album was was your was your first album your heart and soul right. album.
1: Yeah, heart and soul. And that that um, was
0: pretty eclectic. It's what wasn't just totally. One genre there was it?
1: No, no. I, I, I mean, if you really, uh, you know, when, when we did Heart and Soul, uh, that was uh, a point in my life where I knew where I needed to be. Um, I, I um, it was only seven songs. I say it was only seven songs, but they're all my songs. And I, I co-produced it with a guy named Mark Price out of, of uh Marysville, Ohio. Great guy, great keyboard player, great musician, period, and great producer. And he helped me tremendously. That record would not have gotten done without him, uh, specifically. And uh Sammy Hoff on drums, Pat Jenny on bass again. Um and uh we the you know the ref the, the record was definitely for me on a personal level was a love letter to my wife. She had passed away, she was uh, killed in a boat killed in a boating accident. And, uh, so this was my way of saying how much I loved her and my, my children and still do. Um, but, uh, you know, there's definitely some blues songs that I mean, obviously, obviously the blues is everywhere. I wrote that for Stevie Ray Vaughan. Um, I had just met him a year earlier and, uh, he was taken away from all of us and, and it just, it killed me. I couldn't believe it. It was like, uh, I'd be playing in clubs and people would come up. Like, even the Short North, you talk about that. Some guy came up to me and it was like he wanted to testify where he was when Stevie died. He said, man, you know, because I, I the next day I bought a guitar and he goes, I don't even play guitar. I'm thinking, I used to go home and tell my wife, I go, man, that's the power of music. Oh, where yeah. You can inspire people to do things, and sometimes great things. Um, but, you know, I, I, the other a, a lot of that stuff was, um, like the other song that's on there, Where'd You Get Those Blues, is basically um, a conversation between like you and I, it's like we meet, we talk. Well, who do you like? Well, I like this guy, and I like that guy. And it, it eventually, what happened was that with that particular song was it was a, it became a performance piece. And I, I wrote that out of Stevie's passing, and you know, I, I believe sometimes from bad things, some good things can come about it. And I end up writing the blues everywhere specifically for Stevie, um, and I'm really proud of that song. Um, uh, and then, where'd you get those blues? I talked about Clapton cuz he really for me was the first guy that just made my head spin and so when I play that I try to quote a little bit of Eric Clapton a bit of you know inspiration and then the next guy is Jimi Hendrix and I say he changed my life forever because he did and then finally the last guy is Stevie Ray Vaughan and uh being out there in the trenches like a lot of guys you know uh he turned it around for a lot of us man he made he made people care again you know uh he made people realize, <coughs> excuse me, that, um, you know, guitar music, he made people care about blues music and about guitar music, and um, man, I'll be forever indebted to him, because he just he just didn't give a damn what people thought, he's like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do, and, and I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm all about this, so um, that's a fun song to play live, it never fails, people go crazy when we, when we do it. Um, and then there's um, a bunch of other different songs on there, too. A song Forever Young. I wrote that about being young, you know, having a young heart. Um, Excuse me. Yep. My chest is falling out of my head. Um, but um, no, all in all, I'm proud of that record. It, it was done a long time ago. Um,
0: what year was that released?
1: 20. Twenty twenty twenty. 2020, 2020. No oh no 2000 2000 so a long time
0: Okay 23 years ago
1: It's ancient folks <laughs>
0: um, but you know what it's it's uh it it's not dated
1: No I, I I'm a, I'm really proud of the fact that that for the most part I can still listen to things and they hold water Yeah uh, I I still listen to uh um so I don't listen to them on a regular basis but once in a while I will get it out and yeah, it actually still sounds good I'm I'm proud of that I'm that's the first proper CD recording I've done for John Q public ever. So I think basically if you played that for somebody and said, look, if you like this, where do you see this guy live? Then you get the whole beauty of the exercise, so to speak. Um, that's, you know, I've been told by friends of mine that they like the record. They like heart and soul. They go, but man, it doesn't touch what you do live. I go, well, man, that to me is like a Who record. I love the Who. They're one of my favorite bands. Yeah. And I love their records. Um, but then you go see them live and they take your breath away. And that's what I want to aspire to do always is put out really good records enough so that they inspire people to go, oh, we got to go see this guy live. And then hopefully when they see it, it gets the whole picture of being live and, and you know all that kind of stuff. So, um, But um, no, Heart and Soul is a good record. I'm proud of it. Um, I... Uh, I'm definitely going to keep playing some of the songs from it. Uh, um, and then the new record is going to surprise a lot of people because, man, it definitely has uh, sort of a ZZ top, if I have to talk about somebody's ish reference. There's a song in there called One for Jimmy that I wrote that sounds a lot like Jimi Hendrix. Duh. Hmm. Um, and then uh, the title track, There Is No Other. Um, There's No One Like Me. And uh, that, that's, that's a good thing. So...
0: There's only one Frank Harrison.
1: Yep. Last time I checked.
0: <laughs> so, you know, your confidence on stage, where's that coming from? man? Is it, are you born with that or is it just all this oh, no. melting I, pot? What, is it life? What, what's, what is that that we see?
1: I, I, you know, I, I think like a lot of people, when you first start playing music and you're playing in front of people, I'll give you an example. It's like when you're, especially just us being guitar players, okay. And you're on stage playing, and you break a string. You think, "Oh my God, it's the end of the world as we know it. The whole world is watching." And it's just not so, man. Right. Uh, people just don't care. They're, they're like drinking or talking to somebody. It's like, "Oh, I broke a string." Yeah, whatever. And uh, me, I put it in my mouth like a cat whisker. I go, well, that was included with your first drink. Uh, you know, whatever. I just try to make a joke it's of it. Part but of it's the taken me a long time. It's to, to feel that, exactly. A,
0: yeah.
1: a part of part of the deal. and um, um, But no, it, the more you do this, as far as the confidence thing goes, you know, like I told you earlier, when I'm on stage, I am 10 foot tall and bulletproof. I ain't afraid of anybody. Nobody. Muhammad Ali could come back from the dead and just bring it. I don't care. And that's not arrogance, that's confidence. It just, it is. Um, and you have to learn how to have that when you're on stage and, and show people that if you can't show people while you're on stage, you got no business being there. I, I truly believe that, and I mean, I've been the opening act many times. I've been the middle act a few times, and I've been the headliner many times. If you can't show people while you're the headliner, you got no business being it. So when I go out to play, I'm out for blood. You yeah, know, I, you're, I, I you're just <laughs> I just am. I am ten foot tall and bulletproof. Yeah. Now, you know, off stage, that's a different story. I'm just as. as a decent human being as, as you'll find. I will talk to anybody about anything. Uh, if you want to play my guitar? You can play my guitar. You want to talk to me about my pedals or whatever. I, I have no problem with that. But I'm on stage. Yeah, it's 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 go time. Yeah, you it know is. because because I I think
0: and you bring it, man. Well, every song, every show, you're you're that that and that's really. Thank you for sharing that. Well, I mean, it thing,
1: I, I appreciate you saying that, and I appreciate the compliments and the accolades. But you know, it comes from a place where. Like I've said before, people are jaded and people have that, what I call a Missouri attitude. You know, the show me, the Missouri is the show me state. So, you know, for all you people out there in Radio Land that don't know me, come see a show. Everything I'm saying, I can back up everything. Okay. Uh, I, I hope that you feel that way. I know I feel that way, but people are jaded. They think they've seen it all, heard it all, done it all. And my attitude is... Until you see me play life, you ain't seen it all, you ain't heard it all, and you certainly ain't done it all. The end. So uh, that's I can't make it any it's simpler than that, man. And if that sounds like ego, well, I guess guess it is. But here's the thing: when you can back that up, you can say that. I can back it up. So there it is.
0: How do we How do we stay in touch with you? How do we How do we know? You know, I know you've got a couple of projects coming. But you know, how would we know? Do you? Uh... I,
1: uh, my best place to reach me right now is uh, on Facebook, like everyone else, and that's uh, uh, the Frank Harrison Group on Facebook. So
0: you're publishing, you know, when when you're going to perform somewhere Most live, or when definitely. your CD, Absolutely. when your new album's Absolutely. coming, or an EP, or whatever yes, you're going to be doing. Mm-hmm. So that's good. So yeah. we find uh, the Frank Harrison Group on on Facebook.
1: Yeah, and we're, what we're hoping to do is um, once this record's done, I've, I have um, the expert. Womp, bam, boom, drummer Keith Pickens on drums. Hi, Keith. And myself. And uh, we are going to have a bass player to be named at a later date. And uh, we're hoping that once this is done, to go over to Europe and play. And we're hoping that once that happens, we're hoping to come back to Columbus, Ohio, and the rest of the world and play. And, uh, yeah, looking to get out and, and tear it up. I'm so glad this COVID thing is over and everybody's out to see bands again.
0: Yeah, as am I, and yeah, I think it's just um, it's just refreshing, you know, to to uh, okay. see you here uh, this evening. I I I can't thank you enough for making the time, Frank. Um, My we, pleasure. We got about ten minutes, but I, um, do you have enough time to talk about uh, the Ted Nugent story?
1: Oh sure, oh <laughs> sure.
0: Okay, let's roll. I don't know how to place it because you said make sure. I talk about the Ted Nugent story, and I, I didn't want that to go away. I, wanted, well, I didn't want to lose the opportunity.
1: I would say probably like, and I'll reference my my uh, uh, partner in crime there, uh, Mark Chatfield. He's uh, most of you people know from Bob Seger and the Gods and all that, and he's you know led the rock and roll life, and probably's got more stories to tell than I do. My story about Ted Nugent is this: I grew up down in Hollywood, Florida, and Ted Nugent was in between record labels. He was playing a club in Miami called The Place. It was on 27th Avenue, and he had three shows to play, and he played Friday night, and when he got done, he asked a friend of mine, uh, a guy named Angelo Nanocchio, and if he would carry one of his guitars. And he goes, you, carry my guitar. He goes, okay. So Angelo picks his guitar up, and there was all these people, and Andrew, Andrew, Angelo got claustrophobic. And took the guitar home. And so in Penrith Pines, Florida, I get a call from my brother Tommy. I'm a, I have two other brothers, my brother Steve, and my brother Tommy, my middle brother. He's younger than me. And he calls me and he says, Hey, um, I'm with Angelo. We have 10 inches guitar. I said, Tommy, I don't have time for this. He goes, I'm, I'm serious. We got it. And we'll be over in 10 minutes. And he came over. It was the Cat Scratch Fever guitar. It was the Blonde Bird Lane. And so <coughs> I said, What are you going to do with this? He goes, Angelo goes, I'm going to keep it. I go, you're going to keep it. I said, you can't do that. He goes, I'm going to put her in the bed I'm going to keep it. I said, you can't do... I said, number one, you don't keep anybody's guitar. Number two, you don't keep Ted Nugent's guitar. So, in the meantime, on WSHE, she's only rock and roll, they were offered a $1,000 reward for the return of, of the guitar. In retrospect, I should get the $1,000, Ted. But at the time, I was such a fan of Ted Nugent's that I didn't care. I, I, I just, I was a fan. So, we... um we called down at the, the local Holiday Inn, down by the club, and they said, yeah, he was at the club jamming. Now, the club, to give you guys an idea of what it would look like, it would remind you of the Al Rosa, right? Well, sort of a wide club, not a, not a long club. So, I we drive down to, to uh, Miami, and uh, my brother, in his infinite wisdom, and says, you know, we can get a picture of Ted Nugent smoking a joint, playing his guitar. I go, he doesn't do drugs. He he just, at the end, he doesn't do drugs. He drinks Verner's ginger ale soda, you know. And so we get down there, and I'm like, okay, Angelo, go. And he goes, "Uh, I'm not going in. I said, what do you mean, man? I said, we're bringing the guy's guitar back. He said, I'm not going in. I'm like, okay. So I get out of the car. I walk in. Here's Ted Nugent on stage jamming with his Blackbird land. He's jamming with his band. It's 2, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. So um, I said, hey, Ted. Come here, I need to talk to you about something. He goes, what's that? I said, your guitar? He goes, oh, that. So here's Ted Nugent and I walking down the front of the club to the back of the club. And my buddy Joe Garcia gets out of his 64 white Chevy Impala. And there's Ted Nugent's guitar. (laughs) Excuse me. And um, he looks at it, strums the strings. And he looks at Angelo. (laughs) And I was never that close to that Midwestern twang. And he goes, I just want to know one thing what possessed you to do that evil deviant thing and take my guitar and angelo goes well there was all these people and i couldn't find you could we found out later angelo was tripping on LSD. oh jeez didn't mention that <laughs> so that would have been nice to know so meanless to say ted didger goes well you know what i was going to barbecue you in oil and put you in 10 feet of cement but i'm not going to do that but he walks up to angelo about three feet from his face he goes but i'm going to tell you this don't you ever take someone's guitar because next time I will take your life. And that was the end of that shit. And so <laughs> when Ted Nugent played here in town at the LC for the Wingsing, I got to open up for him and I talked to Scott Steinecker, who, you know, was uh promo West Productions. And he goes, Are You serious? I said, Dude, hear to God. I would not lie about this. Hell, I still have one of his guitar picks that says Ted Nugent on it. So I meet Ted Nugent and, uh, I tried to talk to him about that. And, you know, the internet's a, a crazy place. There was a freaking handbook of Ted Nugent for four bucks to get in. Guess he was playing next week? Allman Brothers, $6. Those were good times. Those were good times, And man. And so that that mm-hmm. Saturday night that I got his guitar back for him, Ted Nugent saw me. He motioned me back. He said, hey, thanks for getting my guitar back. So I'm sitting in the back of this black Lincoln Meadow with Ted Nugent talking. I go, dude, I'm happy to do it. I said, I saw you play on my... Uh, 14th birthday, or whatever the hell it was. And I said, You, you were just amazing. You inspired the hell out of me. And uh, so when I met him here in Columbus and I tried to talk to him, he completely blew me off. Oh. And I was like, That's okay. Because next time he comes to town, he can open for me.
0: Oh, there you go. <laughs> and so, that, ladies and gentlemen, that is how we will end episode 13, and like which Jimmy, is a and, number. And
1: like Jimmy Durante says, Trust me, folks, I got a million of them. cha, 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 cha.
0: Well, maybe you'll come back.
1: Oh, yeah. I'd love to come back.
0: I'd love for you to come back, man. I'd love to go back. And 13 is a number that's followed you.
1: Yes, it has. It's it's my it's my lucky number, believe it or not. No, it's lucky tonight. Lucky 13.
0: Lucky tonight, man. Awesome. Frank, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, sir. All right. That's episode 13 of Columbus Local Podcast. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll talk to you later.